Listen as I read out of Matthew. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and he went away. The next day, the next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, Pilate, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. And and if that happens, that last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, "Uh, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone, setting a guard Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified, but he is not here. For he is risen. He is risen as he said that he would uh, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up to take hold of his feet and to worship him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you will see me. D.A. Carson has said that uh, the entire Bible pivots on one weekend in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. And he's exactly right. The weekend of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the essential ingredients to the Godhead's whole Genesis to Revelation plan. And had Jesus not resurrected, you and I would be without any hope at all. It's Easter. It's that time of the year when we celebrate and we kind of concentrate ourselves on the death and the resurrection of Jesus the weekend of events of unfathomable proportion some 2,000 years ago. And yet, let's be real. Because that's one of the big things we try and do here at this church is let's be real about this stuff. Let's be real in it all and that there's a tendency for it to be a bit abstract and a bit unquantifiable for us. I mean, it's grandly respected, no doubt about that. But yet, I think within all of us, there's this part of something that it's like, there's also, let's being honest about it, there's a bit of a distance. There's almost even a sense of some disconnectedness with all of that that happened 2,000 years ago. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like uh, with the pilgrim setting in America. I mean, here they settle in America a long time ago, and I'm really grateful that they did. But in some ways, it's a bit distant. 
or I think about everything associated with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, I'm really glad that took place. And I know that it has impact on my life now, but yet there's an aspect where it's so distant. Or maybe another one, the whole landing on the moon thing. Very cool. But I'm not quite sure I get its relation to me right now. All big events, all grand proportions, and yet their direct impact oftentimes is hard for you and I to grab a hold of, isn't it? I mean, really, it is. It's a bit fuzzy. So today I'd like for us to try and move past some of the fuzziness. I'd like for us just to kind of admit some of the fuzziness and get into the whole thing of so uh, beyond the simple respect of this and, and, and just like, what's this matter to me? What's this matter to you and I now here today, even outside of this room? What's it matter? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to four verses. How many verses? We're going to go to four verses, and actually the most majority of our time is going to be on one verse, but we're going to go to four verses. So would you please grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4. Now, if you're new here, we're big about the Bible around here. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what God has to say in his word. And so we study the Bible, we dig into it, we work it out. Uh, That's what we do here. And if you aren't used to bringing your Bible, uh, if you've been here for a little bit, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible, uh, get used to opening it, digging into it. And also on the back of the seats there, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles scattered around. And if someone doesn't have one around you, give them uh, one of those. It's on page 984 in that, uh, Colossians chapter 3. The reason we're in Colossians chapter 3 is because we as a church have been walking through the book of Colossians. Last Sunday, we kind of took a little bit of a break from that, but we're back into it. And how cool is this on Easter? We're hitting four verses that are bam, awesome for Easter Sunday. I mean, just that's where we're going to be digging into. And, and, and the whole resurrection of Christ, not only is it central to what we're going to be talking about today and how the resurrection is central to your and my life uh, now and forever, but also the resurrection is central to Genesis, to Revelation, the whole deal. Okay, so all of this is contained within here. We're in a study through the book of Colossians. Let me give you a little bit of a layout of the book of Colossians. We have gone and we've uh, taken a look in chapter one. In fact, in chapter one, just turn over there just for a moment. Uh, In verses 15 and following, Paul is talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 15, he, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By the way, that's not first order, that's superior over anyone else. Uh, For by him, verse 16, all things were created Things in heaven, things on earth, visible things, invisible things, throne things, dominion things, ruler things, authority things. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Hey, do you know that the oftentimes pictured, and I love the movies with a lot of them, but in it where Jesus is walking like the hippie sandaled uh, kind of dude, poor carpenter son thing. Listen to me. He's way more than that. Okay, all of that is the reality of Christ incarnate, but do know that he's much more than that. He created the entire solar system. Get a load of that. And the entire solar system is his, it's for him. And in the text here, look verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. We talked about this passage weeks ago. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, the firstborn. He's not the first person to be risen from the dead. Example, Lazarus. But he is the first superior overall. And by the way, Lazarus had to have someone else rise him. We'll get there. That in everything he might be preeminent. That's what chapter one is about. Helping Paul to understand our thinking. Christ is supreme. In chapter two, we saw Paul talking about don't be hoodwinked. Remember that? Don't be hoodwinked. It's kind of like, really? I'm your grandma. No, you're not. Don't punk me, man. And Paul here is chapter one. He's saying Jesus Christ is supreme. And then he's helping followers of Christ understand. Watch out. Be careful because people are going around going, well, it's really about this. No, it's really about this. Don't get hoodwinked. And chapter three, these first four verses were in. The reason I'm spending the time here is these first four verses are absolutely critical because we're in a shift here. Let me say it this way. Chapters one and two are thinking it passages. Paul is saying, listen, I love thinking people and think like this. Don't think like this. Don't get caught. Don't get hoodwinked. Think Christ supreme. Keep Christ supreme. Verses three and four move from thinking it to living it. And we in these first four verses are this transition point. He's moving from thinking to living. We'll see that happen today. We've talked about how right thinking drives right living. You and I do what you and I do because of what you and I think. You do what you do because you think what you think. And if you want to change what you do, you have to change how you think. And that's what Paul is doing. Think it, now live it. Okay? Let me read verses one through four, and then we're going to dive in. You there? Here we go. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Hey God, as we dive into this passage here, into these just few verses, on this marvelous Easter Sunday, the time where we especially remember the resurrection of Christ, your son, the second person of the Trinity. Oh God, I just pray you would make yourself even more known here now in our thinking. Help us not just to respect you. Help us to know you. All because of the cross. All because of the resurrection. More of you, Lord. More of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. First four words of Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have. All right, pause here. Like that's a really exciting statement to pause on, isn't it? No, actually this is critical. 
Because if, if, a New International Version has since then. Uh, it, it's, it's the same thing from this standpoint. It's a conditional statement. Grammatically, it is. It's, it's that way in the Greek. If, then, you have. Uh, what, what's happening here is Paul is making a statement. Hey, if you have something, that means some have it and some don't. Now, now, please understand, right when I say that, just in our culture nowadays, we're automatically thinking, well, that's a pretty prejudiced kind of a statement. No, it's not. Paul's not going in that place. He's not doing that. He's not being haughty about it. Paul's not like, neener, neener, I have you don't. That's not what's happening here. Paul in this is making a, a statement of trying to help understand the reality that some have, some don't right now as he's talking to. And he's talking to people that have. And know this, as we'll get there, know this, he's not being haughty, he's not being snooty about it, because what he says these people have, anybody can have it. Anyone can have what he's talking about here. And on top of that, not only can anyone have what he's talking about, but God wants everyone to have it. Okay? So no neener neener thing. This is Paul's just saying, hey, listen, I'm talking to those here right at the moment as a clarifying statement. If you have, I have something to say to you. Now, as we begin in this passage, the reason I'm spending the time on this conditional statement is because of the clarifying of it, it causes us to ask a question this morning. We really enter this passage, what we're talking about, from two places. One, we either enter it as a, I don't know if I have this. As we go through this this morning, if as we're going through this, you and your mind are thinking, boy, Doug, I'm not really sure I have that. Listen, I want for you to know, I am so grateful you're here if that's the case for you. I don't want you to be offended. I don't want for you to be defensive about it. I don't want you to feel weird about that. Listen to me. Having starts with understanding that you don't have. If I know that I don't have Chips Ahoy cookies, the only good kind of dry cookie, if we don't have Chips Ahoy cookies, I know it may be time, God's will, to get some, right? But if we don't know that I don't have, I can't have. So this morning as we go through this, genuinely in the most sincereness, if you go through this and go, Doug, I'm not sure if I have this. Listen to that question within you because God wants you to have this. Watch asking, do I want this? Because you can have it. Secondly, if if you have what we're about to jump into here, if this is a reality in your life, then you need to know Paul's talking to you. Paul's talking to you and to me. And we need to listen up because what Paul is saying is really, really important, okay? So that's where we're gonna go for. Okay, Doug, so if then you have, what is it? Okay, look at the text. If then you have been raised with Christ. Let's work this out. If then you have been Uh, Sorry, but a little Greek class here. Uh, That verb that's underlying this, there's two elements about this verb that are really important. Number one, it's called an aorist. It's a past 
action verb. In other words, this is so important because what you have, what you have been is something that's already happened. There are verbs that have ongoing, in other words, ongoing, and we'll refer to a couple of those here in just a little bit, and there are future actions. This is a past action. So the have it means you've already got it. Along with that, it's a passive voice. Passive voice verb means that you don't do it. Someone or something else does this. Does what? If you have been raised, that verb there, it means if you have been, it's already been done. You can't add to it more. It's not done again and again and again and again and again. That's a different kind of a verb. Paul could have used it, but he used a past action verb. It's been done. And know this, you didn't do it. You didn't do the raising. You can't raise yourself. Only God can. And that's so relieving. Because it's like, let's just quit trying to earn it. And know that God gives it. That's how it works. That's what it's about. If then you have been raised with Christ, with Christ... Doug, um, raised to what? Well, with Christ. But why do I need to be raised with Christ? Well, look over in chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, just so foundational to coming into chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sin. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and th- through 3. And you were dead. Uh, but then verse 13, it goes on to say, but God made you alive. That, that's the passive, past tense action. God did it, and God's already done it. You were dead, but God made you alive. If then you've been raised with Christ. That's how this is starting out. And I just ask this at this point. Do you have a coming to Christ story? Do you have a if then I've been raised time? I'm not talking about do you believe in God? I'm also not talking about, do you believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh? I'm also not asking, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? Because here's the fact of the matter. Even the demons know that. It's not knowing about, but it's coming to understand that I'm a sinner separated from God because of my sin. And I need to be raised out of my sin. I need my sin taken care of. I need that problem resolved. If then you have been raised with Christ. Have you? John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 5.11-13 says, And this is the testimony that God has given eternal life. And this life is in his son. He, she who has the son has life. He, she who does not have the son of God does not have life. 
Verse 13, I write these things to you who have received Christ so that you can know that you have eternal life. I'm not talking about do you hope. I'm not talking about do you think. I'm not talking about do you wonder. I'm not talking about are you 51% better than most people in the world. The Bible is asking the question, have you come to the place where you've driven the stake in the ground and you've received Christ as your savior? If then you have been raised with Christ, with Christ, so important because Christ's resurrection is the source and the foundation and the basis of anyone being raised out of the problem of sin. This is the co-idea that we talked about a couple weeks ago over in chapter 2. Look at verse 12, chapter 2. It says, you were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ through faith. Verse 13, you were made alive together with Christ. Look down verse 20, chapter 2. If with Christ you died. It's this code thing. In other words, in Christ's death, in Christ's burial, in Christ's resurrection, as we went through in chapter 2, you share in that if then you have been raised with Christ. His work is the foundation of it all. And here's the cool thing. This statement, if then you have been raised with Christ, says this. At salvation, at the time when you come into receiving Christ as your Savior, you have a whole new identity. You are given an entirely new identity. You see, biblically, the identity prior to this was all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Before this, because of sin, my identity in this realm, in this discussion, is the fact of I am condemned because of sin. That's my identity, separated from God. That's the reality that the Bible talks about. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the Bible says. But here's the cool thing. If then you've been raised with Christ, you have a whole new identity. No longer condemned, no longer guilty, raised with Christ, baby. That's what we're talking about here. And I just say this for some of you. If you have a salty past, or you have a nasty past, or you don't have either of those kind of past, whatever your past is, know this. You can have an entirely new identity in God's eyes. When you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, new identity... And other people can say, I know the nasty grams about that boy. If you only knew the nasty stuff about that girl in her past, but know this, in Christ, gone. New identity. That should just cause us to go, booyah, God. I want that, right? Hey, you have been raised with Christ. So who are you? Raised with Christ, man. That's who we are in Christ. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. By the way, look over chapter 2, verse 14. It says, your record of debt, your logbook of sin that stood against you is canceled. It's nailed to the cross. That nasty you of the past of guilt, nailed to the cross, man. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Like I want on that bandwagon, but... That don't happen. It means redeemed. It means raised with Christ. I got to keep on moving. Very cool stuff. Doug, raised with Christ to where? 
Look at the end of verse one. To where Christ is. That's what the text says. To where, where is that? Who cares? I'm dead serious about that. Who cares? Kentucky, West Virginia? If that's where Christ is? <laughs> Sorry. There. You see, the idea here is not about biblically. It, it's not about location. It's not about a place. It's about with a person. It's about with a who. Let me just make, a, if I can here, graciously make a Paul-like chapter two kind of a warning. People today, right now, are really getting caught up in a lot of afterlife, bright light, meeting grandpa, seeing the scenery of heaven, feeling the feelings of heaven, and all that kind of stuff. And look over at chapter 2, verse 18. We talked about this. Don't get hoodwinked. Don't get hoodwinked in asceticism, asceticism. That means if you have to self-deny, it's all self-denial to earn your your favor before God. It's Jesus plus self-denial or worship of angels. Boy, that's going on all over the place. And then look at the next statement and going into details about visions. And going into details about visions. I'm bringing this in as an application. As a picture. Hey, where Christ is, it's about Christ. The golden roads, the buildings, the, 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 the people you meet, okay, cool, kind of what, whatever. It's about Christ. That's the center of the target. And when Christ kind of becomes, well, he's a part of it, he's there, but all this other stuff is awesome. You literally are dethroning the supremacy and the preeminency of Jesus. Even if it's 1% so, it's dethroning it. And I'm just bringing in this, like, listen, friends, where are we raised to? We're raised to where Christ is. Who cares where? Who cares what's around? It's Christ, baby. That's what the deal is. So where is Christ? Well, there is a statement at the end of verse 1, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Well, now I got the picture. It's where this big throne and then this other throne. I just don't have time to go into it this morning, but we don't get this terminology here in our culture today. Back in the day, that term was not so much about a location and about two giant chairs. That terminology was a terminology that was used to tell people the superiority of someone. No, you got to understand who this person is. They're at the right hand of. It's not about a place. It's about an authority statement. So when the statement is said, he's at the right hand of God the Father, it's like God the Father in Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. This is a divinity statement. This is an honor and majesty and supremacy reality. And putting all this together where I'm getting at, not only is the person redeemed with Christ into a new identity, but you are moved into a new position. What position? Where Christ is. Do you realize how significant that is? Because prior to my salvation, the Bible says I was separated from Christ. Now, 
When I receive Christ as my Savior, I have a new identity with Christ. Get out of here. No, man, with Christ. And where are you at? I'm where Christ is. Get out of here. No, man, I'm telling you the truth. It should just blow our minds. And it's not like, hey, dude, I want to tell you, I'm so awesome. I'm with Christ and where Christ is. I'm that big of a deal. No. It's face on the ground. I can't believe it. Me. Doug Helmer. Piles of sin over my life. I don't deserve it one lick. And yet, in God's grace, God did an heiress past tense work when I came to him. And God did the work because I couldn't bring myself back to life. And God not only brought me to life, he, played, he raised me up with Christ. And he placed me where Christ is, man. That's what Easter is all about. That's not just respecting what happened. That's understanding that what happened 2,000 years ago totally changes my entire history because of Christ. A new identity and a new position. Now I'm understanding why Galatians 2.20 says, the old has gone, the new has come. Friend, if you've been raised with Christ, you have a whole new God-given identity and a whole new God-given position. Rejoice. Because that changes everything. Now think about this. A new identity and a new position demands a new orientation. It demands a new orientation. Look in the middle of verse 1. I told you we're camping most of the time in verse 1. Okay, trust me. We're going to fly through the rest once we get through verse 1. Seek the things that are above. That's an orientation. Seek. Seek. It carries this idea of pursuing after. Okay, before I get there, let me kind of illustrate it. Let's say... Um, let's think of the Pacers game. No, they played horrible. Let's, um, let's go to the Colts. Your position and identity totally changes how you view a Colts game. I, I'm just a normal Joe Blow. I live in Indiana. And if Karen and I got tickets, we would probably be up in the Joe Blow no, nosebleed seats. Okay? And so you have a very unique position when you're up in the nosebleed seats. I think there's people down on the, on the field playing, if you can see them. Uh, but, but you have the whole thing around. And it's pretty cool because there's other normal Joe people up there in nosebleed world, and you're all taking the big, big picture of this whole thing going on. Now, now imagine if you are a friend of Andrew Locke, and uh, he says, hey, come on down and uh, watch the game from the sidelines. When I'm on the sidelines and people ask me at that point in time, new position, by the way, When people ask me, who are you? (laughs) Here's what I'm saying. I'm a friend of Andrew Locke. That's my identity. Because if I say Doug Helmer, they're like, and why are you here? Right? 
New position, new identity. Here, on this, I'm not even saying it's better. I'm just saying it's a different identity, different position, and the orientation of the game is totally different. If you're out on the field and you're playing the game, you have a whole different identity. You're a Colts player, and you are playing in the position. Your position is on the field. It's a different view on the field than it is up a nosebleed or even on the sideline. Different identity, different position, whole new orientation. I'm on the sideline watching. You're out on the field. you got a whole other pursuit going on, right? Uh, by the way, it's the same if you're a teenager. You have a unique identity as a teenager, unique position in life as a teenager, and a unique view on life as a teenager. You think you got it all figured out? Hang in there. Okay, you have a unique life as a single, uh, as a as a married couple. Unique identity, unique position, unique orientation. If you're an empty nester like Karen and I, it's an awesome. Pos- I mean, it's a <laughs> again, it's the same thing. I'll add into this picture. It's the same thing here at church. In fact, uh, uh, John, would you come on up here? John, come here. John, just grab that seat right there. Okay, sit right there. I'll I'll be right to you. Okay, you sit right here. And and people here right in the front, God loves you, by the way. Um, (laughs) You know, and and you're here in the front. Well, uh, you have a unique position because you can't see the people behind you, by the way. I sit here periodically, like today I was way over here on this side, and one of the things I kind of like about it is every so often I can kind of look and take a look at the people, and it's like, this is so cool just to watch people together honoring the Lord, and it's just interesting. We had no idea how many people are going to be here today, whether they're going to be five or they're going to be whatever, and we're just like, this is such an interesting position. And then also along with it, like if when you're in the back of the auditorium, cool position, hey buddy, cool position by the way, because you can be back here and it's like, if the kids get fussy, you can kind of step right out real easy, Uh, but you can see everything that's going on and, you know, bald men's heads and (laughs) I'm one of them, okay? See what I'm saying? It's very different. Oh, by the way, oh yeah, I forgot, John's here. John's up here in a unique position. Now, if both of us are up here, I'm kind of what we'll call it, I'm the teaching pastor right now. I will tell you, I stand here in this position with a bit of a different mindset right now than what's going on right here. Because right at this moment, we have not the teaching pastor who's freaking out about having to, being asked to sit here and really wished he would have said, no, I won't. I'm up here going, I can't wait for in about another month when we have these lights redone in here so that we have more full brightness out here so I can see you better because I am coming down then. John's like, why are you talking about it? Who cares? Different positions, different orientations. Okay, thanks, buddy. See what I'm saying? Now, with that illustration in mind, If then you have been raised with Christ and you have a whole new identity in Christ and you have a whole new position of with Christ, where Christ is, then living like someone who I was before, that makes no sense at all. If I owned the Colts, 
why would I be sitting up in the cheap nosebleed seats? That's foolish. Sit in the box, man, and enjoy it. Hey, new identity, new position, new orientation. Identity and position happen when you come to Christ. Orientation is after that. Let me ask you, what are you pursuing? I mean, really. What are you pursuing with your life? What are you seeking out? What are you seeking after? Look, chapter three, uh, here Paul says, you must be, by the way, this is called a present active imperative verb. That means it's a command imperative. Present active, it means it's continual, ongoing. You must be presently, actively, continually seeking the things above. Vertically oriented people are vertical seeking people. Okay, Doug, I get I'm to be vertically oriented. What does that look like? It means be vertical seeker. Seek Christ. Because you've been identified with him, you've been positioned with him, seek Christ. That's the deal. Seek and pursue and it's like a dog on a hunt. It's not pie in the sky like, oh, you know, just live life. Everything's good. I never have problems. <laughs> Drive me nuts. It's not pie in the sky. It's not high and mighty, fluffy religion. It's not that. It's about a relationship. And you're pursuing after. You're pursuing after. You're seeking Jesus Christ. But Doug, if I'm in Christ, why do I have to seek after Christ? Because you're in a relationship, not in a religion. It's not about getting the golden ticket. It's about coming into relationship with the preeminent, supreme, risen Jesus Christ. Remember back in the day when maybe you were, the first time you, you were like a, a, an official boyfriend or girlfriend? And it's like on the day where the two of you are like, okay, we're official now. And it's like, now I totally got this whole boyfriend thing worked out. Or take that to marriage. Karen and I, married, August 18th. By the way, first service, I said August 20th. Um, <laughs> That's her birthday. Give me grace. Give me grace. <laughs> August, August 18th. <laughs> With that, it's like, if you, the day you get married, you walk back out of the aisle, down to the end, you're at the reception, everything's done. It's like, I got this marriage thing nailed out. Listen, guys, don't say that. It's a whole lifetime because you're in a relationship with it. And yet so many people kind of view coming to Christ as a golden ticket thing. That it's like just getting to heaven. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, I never knew you. Why does he not know them? Because they were going for the golden ticket, not for relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is like, dude, you are going for the golden ticket. I don't even know you because we never had anything going here. That's what Christianity is about. Coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. Having a new identity, a new position, a new orientation. And an orientation that looks like pursuing after the one you're in relationship with. Are you? Does that describe you? Are you pursuing Jesus? What are you pursuing? 
By the way, I'm not talking about perfect. No, please. But I am talking, and the scripture's talking about pursuing Jesus. Is that what you're doing? Doug, how does one do this seeking after Jesus thing? Do I just read the Bible more and pray more or memorize the book of Leviticus? Is that it? Look at verse two. Set your mind on things that are above. How do I be vertically oriented? How do I be vertically seeking? By vertical thinking. By vertical thinking. Listen, if if I'm hunting after something, I'm thinking about that thing. And on my hunt, I'm continually thinking about that thing. Because if I'm not thinking about that thing and I'm thinking about some other thing, I'm not going to be headed that way. I'm going to be headed towards what I think because I do what I think. And if I want to head towards Jesus, I need to be thinking Jesus, seeking Jesus, processing him. Vertical oriented means vertical seeking, vertical thinking. It's a set your mind on it, set it. It's like Park it right there on Christ. It's, it, it, it's, it's an intentional thinking. It's a whole mindset. It's an ambition. It's what you want. What do you want? This last week. What have you been wanting? Here are just a few things that people commonly want that we all know about. I want control. I want my way. I want respect. I want to be loved. Hear me. Wanting respect or wanting to be loved is not wrong in itself, but that's not the thing you set your mind on. That's not the thing you're pursuing because if you're all about, I'm, I am here to be loved. And so when I'm not being loved, everybody is off. You see, that becomes the idol. That's the thing I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping to have control. I'm in the worship of wanting to be respected. I'm in the worship of wanting to be loved. And when those things are the things that I seek after, think about, know this, it won't be about Jesus. Unless I think Jesus will get me what I want. Do you want Jesus. I mean, just more of him, seriously. Because if it's like, no, I haven't really been wanting, you have to ask yourself the question, do I even have a relationship with him? Vertical seeking people are vertical thinking people. Daily, habitual deliberate, setting my mind on Christ. Vertical thinking people are biblical thinking people. What does God's words have to say about this? Right now, my wife and I, we're having a fuss. What does God's word have to say about this? About me, what's going on in my heart? I'm struggling at work. I've got health issues. It all of a sudden popped up. What does God's word have to say about that? No, I don't know if it does. Then you need to get with someone that can help you go to God's word. And find the solution. Pursue after Christ. It's about dating biblically. And doing marriage biblically. And doing your work and your career biblically. It's about handling life biblically. Seeing life biblically. 
So many people ask the question, why do bad things happen in the world? That's actually a very, honestly, a very easy question to answer. Here's why. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. Biblically, the real question is, why does anything good ever happen? Because if we live in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed people, why don't we live in a living hell? God's grace is refraining it from completely imploding. That's seeing life from a biblical perspective. And vertically thinking people are far more earthly value than earthly minded people. Let me say that again. Vertically thinking people are are of far more earthly value than earthly minded people. Because you do not get this if you do not get this. That's why on the news, everybody's like so in a conundrum. Nothing makes sense. It doesn't make sense from a human standpoint. It only makes sense from a God standpoint. And even that's hard to grab a hold of at times. Vertically thinking people are far more earthly value than earthly minded people. So understand, God is not calling you out to be some fluffy in the sky. Just talk about fluff. Do life biblically, vertically. And that's what vertical churches do. They drive people to think and live that way. And we finish verses three through four. Set your mind, verse two, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? Because of verse three. For you have died. No, I haven't. I'm alive. No, no, spiritually. For you have died to the old. You have died to the sin nature. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God the Father. That's such a cool thing. You're hidden with Christ. It's this secured in. And it makes sense because I'm raised up with. I'm where Christ is. And it's this double whammy. It's, it's like I'm secured in Christ and I'm secured in God the Father. All wrapped up, the risen Christ and God the Father. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Know this, right now we see in part, we live in part, we have it all, but yet we don't get it all. But one day it's going to all be made known, visible and clear and clean. And the risen Christ is going to take it all in hand. And at that time is the time when all will know exactly what's what. And that's why I'm so concerned about the person that is potentially even out of chapter two, hoodwinking themselves. Unintentionally or naively or even with good intention. I go to church. I believe there's a God. I, 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 you know, listen, do you have relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the issue. Do you? If you then have been raised with Christ. If you're redeemed in Christ, you are raised with Christ. And if you are raised with Christ, then that means that you have a whole new identity, a whole new position. And having a new identity and a new position uh, demands a new life orientation. 
And a new life orientation looks like being a person that's hunting after Jesus, seeking after Jesus, and thinking Jesus through the process. How can I glorify him in this and in this and in this with my heart, with my mind, with my processes? And vertical thinking, vertical seeking persons live vertically. They live vertically. It shows in their life. Doug, what does vertical living look like? That's the next seven weeks. Literally. Here's what's so cool. Paul in his book has said, do know this, think. In your thinking, know that Jesus Christ is supreme. God. Don't be adding to him, chapter two. No asceticism. No Jesus plus, no self-made religion. Well, I think, well, good for you, good for me, but who made me or you God? I hate to be so harsh about it, but that's the truth. Chapter three here now turns. And Paul is saying, listen, if you've been raised with Christ, you have a new identity, a new position, a whole new orientation. Seek after him, think after him, and let me show you what that now looks like. And in fact, we're going to see it in the coming weeks, what vertical putting off looks like, what vertical putting on looks like, what being a vertical woman looks like, what being a vertical man looks like, what being a vertical parent looks like, what being a vertical worker and employer looks like. That's where we're going. And I would invite you to come on back. Friends, the resurrection is not simply a past event just to respect. The resurrection of Jesus Christ can change everything. New identity, new position, new orientation. I started out by saying, hey, if uh, maybe here today, as you listen through this and you're asking yourself or thinking in your own mind, Doug, honestly, I, I don't know if I have that. I don't know. I can't think of a time in my life where I've really come and driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as my Savior. I'm not sure if I have that, or I think I do, but I'm not. Hey, listen, that's fantastic because you can have. And the Bible just simply says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. God, I'm a sinner separated from you. I need Christ. Boom, I'm driving the stake. And now, new identity, new position. And God, I have a new orientation. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. Have you done that? If you haven't, I invite you to consider doing so. At the end of our service today, we're just going to have some of our pastors, elders, some small group people just kind of standing out around. And if that happens to be you and you're like, I'm just not sure... I just invite you, go up to one of the men, go up to one of the women and just go, you know what? I'm not sure if I've been raised with Christ. Can you help me out a little bit here? Maybe take some time with me over the coming weeks or month or so to help me understand what this is about. They would love to do that. If you have been raised with Christ, maybe you need to know that you have a new identity. All the trash from the past. Hey, Raised with Christ. Stuck in sin, condemned in sin. No, no, not anymore. New position. You're where Christ is. 
And that demands a new life orientation. And that's what we work together at. Together, side by side, life on life, pursuing Christ together. All because of the resurrection. All because of the resurrection.